James chapter 1. So here's where we left off last week. How can we expect God? How can we expect the people around us to be rooted in the Word if the, root, if the Word is yet to take root in our own lives? The, really the point or the head that we came to last week as we were talking. Can you turn these monitors off? Thank you. The head that we came to last week as we were talking uh, is that in all of our lives, there's some sin that, that we've got to deal with. There's some sin that we all have in our lives that we need to own up to and that we need to get rid of. Uh, James kept referring to sin as, as wax in the ears. He said, you got wax in your ears and you get rid of. If you have wax in your ears, he says, you can't get rid of, uh, the, you, you can't hear God speak through his word. If you have sin in your life standing in front of you, uh, between you and God, you can't hear God speak uh, through his word. And the reality is, until we deal with that sin, until we own up to that sin, and then until, we, until we rid ourselves of that sin, we're going to be stunted in our growth and we're going to be stalled in our mission. But here's the question that I really, I thought about all week, and I really want to start with tonight, and that's this. After studying this last week, after looking at what we saw in James 1, whatever the verses were last week, how many of you, when you left here, after being convicted of the sin that you know is there, and you know it's there, it's obvious. How many of you actually dealt with any of that? How many of you actually spent any time dealing with that, uh, even thinking about it? I mean, how many of you, like after us digging into the Word, and after, as we're sitting here, I know that God is convicting you of some sin in your life. How many of you, uh, just when you left, you walked out and pretty much just brushed it off your shoulder like it's no big deal, like it doesn't even exist, and just go on with the rest of your life? How many did that? It's a rhetorical question, don't raise your hand. I'm afraid that that's really the response that we typically have when we approach God's word. And I'm afraid that's the response that we typically have when God speaks to us. And as you hear James, you listen to what James is saying here, I'm pretty sure that he saw that the people he was writing to then had the same tendency. They hear him speak, but they really don't do anything about it. And that's why he says last week, uh, James 1.21, which is where we ended, he said, Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth, that earwax, and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. That's why he says that. But then, after he says that, beginning in verse 22 this week, listen to what he says. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror, and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, and continues to do so, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. At the beginning of that, he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. What does it mean to be deceived? Think about that. What's it mean to be deceived? To be deceived is to think something's true or think something's real, but it's really not. Perfect example. My family, we have a dog. His name's Lloyd Harry Christmas Wadlow. Uh, I got him my, uh, my sophomore year in high school. So he's like kind of getting old, 11 years old, 12 years old. He's a miniature poodle. Um, and... Because he's getting a little bit old, he, uh, he's, he started to lose his hearing. He pretty much can't hear anymore. Uh, either that, he's, got re- he's learned. He's got really selective hearing. I, just, I don't think he can hear. He's got a bunch of old hair and stuff that's clogging his ears. But maybe it's earwax. Maybe my dog's got some sin in his life. Uh, but he, uh, he can't hear very well anymore, and he's getting cataracts on his eyes, so he can't see very well. Well, my family moved into this house in McKinney about three years ago. And my dog's a very routine dog. He's an indoor dog. But when he has to go to the bathroom which it's like certain times a day, my parents, they go to the back door that leads to the backyard, and they open it up. Now, this door, it's wooden with some glass panels in it. So they go open it up, and after they open it, uh, he, he just, his routine, he walks out, does his business, and then when he's done, he comes back, and he just, he kind of sits there at the door, and he just waits until somebody remembers that he's out there and sees him, and they, 
They opened the door, let him in. Well, about two months ago, my family got a screen door. And so, um, he, you know, they, they took him out this one time, and, uh, and I think it was my sister taking, taking the dog out. And, and they opened the door to go outside and then opened the screen door, and he, he runs out and he goes to the bathroom. Well, when he was done, I think he forgot about this new screen door, so he comes back, and he's waiting there at the door. And then, uh, he, you know, my sister or mom, whoever comes, and, and lets him in. And typically, his routine was what he knew, what he'd been used to for years now, is as soon as that door opens, man, he just hops up the little step because he's a miniature poodle, and he just runs inside. Well, he forgot about the screen door, and since he can't see very well, he didn't know it was there. So he just hops up, and boom, hits the screen and kind of rolls back off and falls, falls over. My dog had really been deceived into thinking the door was open when really it wasn't. And what James says here, he says, do not be deceived uh, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Merely means only. And so what he's saying is don't only listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. The first thing you've got to hear me say tonight is this. We have been deceived if all we do is listen to the word. You have been deceived if all you do is listen to the word. And when I say the word, I mean this right here. And there's one of two ways that you've been deceived if all you do is listen to the word. One is you are being deceived into thinking that you are following God and you are being obedient to the call that he has on your life and you're living the life that he's leading you to live when, all, when in all reality you are not. That's one possible way you're being deceived. The other possible way you're being deceived if all you're doing is listening to the word is you're being deceived into thinking that you have faith in Christ, that you've really truly put your trust in Christ when the reality is you haven't. And because you haven't, then that means you are still held captive to sin and you are still in bondage to spiritual death. There's a guy named Douglas Moo. He's, he's written what everybody kind of calls the definitive commentary on the book of James. I want to read you something that he says here. He says, to be deceived is to be blinded to the reality of one's true religious state. People can think they are right with God when they really are not. And so it is for those people who, quote unquote, hear the word, regular church attenders, seminary students, and even seminary professors, but do not do the word. They are mistaken in thinking that they are truly right with God. Now, I want to I flow with this concept of being deceived for a minute. We have to deal with this concept of being deceived because the implications that it has is big. Now, ever since I was born, and, and this is probably true with a lot of you, ever since I was born, to put one's faith in Christ or put one's trust in Christ was defined something like this. You pray a prayer and you accept Jesus into your heart. And so typically the way that it would go is, you know, this could happen at church camp or youth camp. This could happen Sunday morning at church. This could happen with your Bible study leader. This could happen with your mom in the car. That's where it happened for me. This could happen uh, while you're sitting in your living room and you're listening to the televangelist on the TV. Typically what would happen is some, some pastor or some speaker or some youth leader, your mom or dad or whoever, they'd be talking to you and they'd get to the point where they would say, okay, now you need to pray and accept Jesus into your heart. So repeat this prayer after me. And the prayer would go something like this, you know. Uh, Dear Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner. Dear Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner. And uh, I, I need you to come into my life. And, and would you please wipe away the sin that's in my heart? And you repeat that. And, and now I'm giving my life to you, Jesus. Amen. That's typically what the prayer would look like. A pray to receive or pray to ask Jesus into your heart. That's how, that's how faith and trust in Christ has so often been defined to us. But can I tell you what's really ironic about that statement? James 1.22, he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. That's the first sentence. What's the second sentence? If you have the NIV, it says, do what it says. What's the it in that sentence, do what it says, referring to? 
Do what it says. Do what God's word. Do what the Bible, this brown book or black book or green book that you have. Do what it says. Do what God's word says. But nowhere in God's word and nowhere in here does the Bible define faith and trusting in Christ as praying that prayer. Nowhere. Yet, that's how it's been defined to us so often over the past however many years since I was born. And yet, that's how we have defined faith and have been defining faith to other people. Trusting in Christ, that's what it looks like. I want to pause for a second. I want to say this. Confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that you are a sinner, that is biblical. Romans 10, 9 says, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. And it goes on to say, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. It's biblical to confess Jesus is Lord with your mouth. It's also biblical to call on the name of the Lord. Later on, Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But words coming out of your mouth, words coming out of your mouth does not constitute faith. So the question that I, that I have is, is what does the Bible say about faith? Like how does the Bible define faith? And there's two examples I want to look at like really quickly. One is Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, I encourage you to read that at some point, like soon, and see the examples that it gives of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now it goes on, and what you'll notice if you read further is it doesn't go on to say, okay, now that faith is expressed with your mouth, with words. It doesn't say that. Instead it says, it goes on to say over and over and over, by faith this guy did this. And by faith that girl did that. By faith he did this. By faith she did that. In fact, it goes on to say, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was created at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible, uh, but, by, what, but was made out of what is invisible. And then it goes on to say, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, this person did this. By faith, that person did that. Mark 10, we also see faith defined. Uh, this guy comes running up to Jesus. And uh, he comes running up to Jesus. He falls on his knees before Jesus. And sincere, sincerely, he asks this question. He says, he says, Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, he says, what must I do to get into heaven? And so Jesus says, well, pray this prayer after me. No, he doesn't say that. He says, look, he, and, and let me just say this about this question. When, any, when anybody in Scripture, whenever you run across this question in Scripture where somebody asks, especially Jesus, what do I need to do to get into heaven? Whatever the answer is, you should probably pay close attention to. Especially when it's Jesus, Jesus talking like it is here in Mark 10. So this guy, he says, what do I need to do to get into heaven? And Jesus, a few verses down, responds by saying this. He says, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now let me, let, me, let me make sure you hear this. The one thing or the issue with this rich guy was not, or the one thing that this rich guy lacked was not an absence of possession. Are you hearing that? The one thing this rich guy lacked was not an absence of possession. It was, an, it was real faith. What this guy lacked was real, genuine faith. And so Jesus, as he's talking to him, says, this is what you lack. He basically defines faith. He says, look, real, genuine faith leads you and me to abandon everything that we have here on earth and to follow Christ, trusting that his way is better than our way or better than any other way. The way the Bible the Bible's beginning to define faith as we're reading this is faith is not something that comes out of here. Faith is something that comes right here, that begins right here. And when faith exists, 
right here, then it's played out in what you do with your hands and with your feet and with your mouth as well. Going back to that guy, uh, Douglas Moo, the, the commentator, he, this is what he says. He goes on to say this later on. He says, God's word cannot be divided into parts. If, if one wants the benefits of its saving power, one must also embrace it as a guide for life. The person who fails to do the word, James therefore suggests, is a person who has not truly accepted God's word at all. So when you look at the Bible and the way the Bible defines faith, not the way that it's been defined to you by all these other people all your life, when you look at the Bible, God's word and the way it defines faith, faith, the image it's defining is this. You need to let go of everything that you're holding on to, and you need to grab on to the one thing, the one person who can save you, and that's Jesus Christ. So what does that look like in our life? Played out, what does that look like? I think really the question we need to start with is, so, so what are we holding on to? And for some of you, some of you, you're holding on to your sport. You're holding on to the sport that you play in your whole life. And, uh, yeah, you're holding on to your sport. Some of you, you are, uh, you're holding on to some relationships. And, and when I say relationships, some of that is girlfriends, uh, boyfriends. Uh, some of that's not, it's, it's not just girlfriends, boyfriends, though. Um, it's, it's really any relationships. This is a picture of my fraternity in college. Some of you are holding on to your fraternity, your sorority. Some of you are holding on even to the relationships with your family. Some of you are holding on to the relationships with friends that you've had all your life or friends that you've just met. For some of you, it's holding on to, and I don't really understand this one, <laughs> but for some of you, you're holding on to school. These are your books. Some of you are holding on to school. Some of you, you're holding on to uh, your cell phone, which uh, has everything on it now. Facebook, Internet, uh, Angry Birds. Some of you are holding on to that. Some of you are holding on to, uh, some of you are holding on to your money. This is a checkbook. I've got my wallet here. Some of you are holding on to your money. Some of you are holding on to your dreams, something you've dreamed of being your entire life. Some of you, some of you are holding on to your, your self-image, your body image. And some of you are holding on to really just your life in general and the direction that you're going. That's why I got keys. But the Bible clearly defines faith. Really, the Bible clearly says that there's only one who can save you, and that's Jesus Christ. And so my question is this, like, how can you grab onto the only thing, the only one that saves you when you're holding on to all this other stuff? You can't. And so what you see is when the Bible defines faith, it defines it as letting go of everything you're holding on to and grabbing on to the one thing that can save you, and that's Christ. But let me say this as I'm, as I'm describing this to you. I don't want anybody stealing my money later. As I'm describing this to you, let me make sure you hear this. When we, when we lay these things that we're holding on to at the feet of Christ, when we lay these things or, or, or place these things that we're holding on to into the hands of Christ, it's not like throwing it in a trash can. Jesus isn't like a black hole. Um, it's, it's, it's not like playing a game of hungry hippos and he's like the really hungry hippo and he's just eating all your marbles. That's not what it's like. When you lay these things at Christ's feet and when you put these things in his hands, you're essentially saying to him, look, I want you, instead of me taking this stuff, and accomplishing what I want to accomplish with these things, Jesus, I want you to take that stuff. 
my life included, that's the keys. And I want you to accomplish what you want to accomplish with that stuff. And you're going even further that and saying, Jesus, I trust and I believe that what you can do and what you can accomplish with, with my things and with my life is so much better than anything that I could ever do with it myself. And so what James is saying is, look, we have been deceived if all we do is listen to the word. We've been deceived if our definition of faith is simply praying a prayer in the past to accept Jesus into our hearts. Now, to accept Jesus into your heart, that's not totally unbiblical either. In fact, it's not unbiblical at all. Last week, where did we end? James 1.21, he says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly what? Accept the word which is planted in you, which can save you. He says, humbly accept the word planted in you. Humbly receive the word planted in you, which can save you. you Got to hear this. If you accept the word, it can save you. But it's accepting the word and listening to the word, they're two totally different things. The image here isn't you've got God's word over here, and every once in a while, you come over here and you check it out, and kind of like a gas station, you come fuel up and then you leave. That's not the image here at all. The image that James is about to portray to us is this. You take God's word and you literally drop it into the middle of your world. You let God's word invade your life. Uh, about three years ago, I went to, the first time I got to go to Peru and work with this group of people called the Ashinica people. It's a, it's a tribe of people who live in the Amazon rainforest. And I was really excited on the front end of the, front end of the trip because the missionaries that I was communicating with, they said, look, these people really love to fish. And, um, and so I love to fish, and knowing that they love to fish, I was pretty stoked about this opportunity to go and, uh, and, spend, and spend time with them. And so, but he said, the, the missionary said, look, they don't fish like you fish, Austin. I fish with a, you know, a, a fishing rod and lure. We kind of talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago. But they don't fish that way. They fish with spears and with bows and arrows. And, they said, and the missionary said, look, they'll probably take you to fish with them if you want. And I'm thinking, sweet, this is going to be awesome. So we go out there, and we spend a few days with these Ashinika people. And about two or three days in, we say, hey, we want to we go fishing with you. Will you take us fishing? And so they said, yeah, sure, the next morning or tomorrow morning, get up early, come fishing with us. So we get up and we meet them to go fishing with them. And I'm, I'm expecting them to have some spears and some bows and arrows with them, but they didn't have any of that. Instead, we just start hiking along the river. And it's not a really big river, a uh, pretty small river, actually. And we hike along the river and, uh, for about 20 minutes until we get to this spot. And, uh, and, and when we get to this spot, I think we have a picture coming up here. When we get to this spot, we stopped and we just kind of sit there. There's about a 15-foot drop right in front of us, and, and uh, one of our teammates took that picture, and, and we're just sitting there doing nothing, and so they spoke Ashinica, I speak English, so there's no communication there at all, like I, I thought maybe they had some uh, spears or bows and arrows stashed in the woods somewhere that we were going to go get, I don't know, uh, or I just thought they misunderstood and we weren't going fishing, or maybe they are going to try and drown us, I don't know, but we're sitting there, and, uh, and for like 30 minutes, we just sit there doing nothing, now you could tell where the water was, it was a little deeper in that area, um, but Again, just sitting there. Every once in a while, we saw a fish jump. Didn't do anything. Well, about 30 minutes in, this guy with the shirt off, he, he picks up a rock, and he throws it in the water. Okay, now I'm sitting here thinking, all right, bro, like, this is stupid, okay? Like, you're not going to catch any fish with a rock. And so I'm looking at this rock, and I see the splash, and I see ripples. Well, all of a sudden, I hear something light up. He's pulled a stick of dynamite out of his pocket, and he lights this stick of dynamite, and he throws it in. I didn't even know he had a stick of dynamite in his pocket this whole time. But he throws it in the water where he had thrown this rock in, and seconds later, I mean, you could feel the explosion that happened under the river. And I mean, sure enough, all these fish just start to pop up and float up to the top of the river. And these two kids that were with us, they just jump in and start grabbing fish and floating down the river. So kind of look at each other and 
you know, jump in, just start grabbing fish and floating down the river. But you take a rock. If you take a rock and you throw it into the water, it's going to make a splash, and there's going to be little ripples here and there, right? You've done that. But if you take a stick of dynamite, and you light it and you throw it in the water, it's going to blow stuff up. It's going to mess things up. It's going to change what's happening below the surface of the water. And that's exactly what God's word is. God's word is just like that stick of dynamite. But the problem is, many of us, we're holding on to it, we're looking at it, and we believe it exists, but we're yet to light it. We're yet to throw it in the water, and we're yet to experience its power. And that's exactly what James is trying to help us see here when he says this. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Then he goes on in verse 23, he says, Anybody who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, continuing to do what it says, or continuing, continuing to do so and not forgetting what it says but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. He says, at the beginning, he, he uses this image of a mirror. Um, and the whole point that he's trying to make is, is this. Look, God's word reveals so much about who we really are. God's word reveals so much about who we really are. He used this image of this mirror. Uh, girls, y'all value mirrors uh, a lot. What's the first thing you do or maybe the last thing you do before you go to class or work in the morning? You sit in front of the mirror. Uh, you make sure you know your clothes looking all nice. You make sure your hair is looking all nice. If it's not looking all nice, then you put a ball cap on and you know, kind of shove it up under there, keep the craziness contained in the ball cap. Uh, and then some of you put some makeup on, some of you put, you know, some of you, some of you spend more time than others in front of the mirror, uh, and some of you just, you know, whatever. Um, you value mirrors. And because you value mirrors, you have more than one mirror. You know, I, I know, I've, I've been in my mom's bathroom, I've been, I've been there, I've seen, she's got that, uh, that circular mirror that has two sides to it, it's got the magnifying mirror on one side, I don't remember what the other side is, whatever. But the magnifying mirror, you know, you value mirrors, so you got two mirrors, actually three, because this one's double-sided. And you got this magnifying mirror, you know, that when you look at it, it makes your eyeball look like the size of my hand. And it makes your nose look like the size of my fist. And it, it, it exposes every little pore and every little discrepancy in your face. It's kind of disgusting. You look too close. But you've got multiple kinds of mirrors. You've got the bathroom mirror. You've got the magnifying mirror. You've got the, the portable mirror, the pocket mirror, you know, the purse mirror. Um, and so that way, you know, when you're in class, you can, okay, good. I'm still looking good. You can check. Oh. No, my, you got to fix the makeup. So you got some of those portable mirrors that have a little makeup, you know, square. I don't know what that is, but, you know, fix the makeup. <laughs> or, you know, maybe you're in class, you, you kind of feel one of those phantom boogers, and you're like, is that a phantom booger? Is that the real thing? So you can look, okay, no, it's just a phantom booger. And so you can kind of keep on going on. Or, you know, some of you have already looked tonight. You've got it in your pocket, you know, slip it out, check. Okay, all right, good. I'm looking good. Uh, so you got portable mirrors. you got the purse mirrors. Some of you, well, we all really probably in our car had the flip-down mirror, you know. Guys don't really know <clears throat> that exists because they don't use it, but you girls... Now, you're driving, you're already texting, but then on the way to class, you flip down the mirror, <coughs> and, uh, and you start putting your makeup on the way to class, you're driving over here with your knees, and it just makes it that much more dangerous for everybody else out on the road. You got the flip down mirror in your car. Um, there's tons of mirrors. You value mirrors, so you got multiple mirrors. You got mirrors in the bathroom at church. Some of you have already been to the mirror over there and checked, make sure everything, nothing happened on the way over here. You know, you got mirrors in the mall. Thank God for mirrors in the mall, so, you know, when you're trying on all those clothes, you can... Check to see how you look. Girls, you value mirrors. Now, guys, we value mirrors too, but for completely different reasons. Now, a few guys will spend time in the morning, you know, primping and getting ready and beautifying themselves. A few. Um, you know, they use product in their hair and all that stuff, but whatever. Um, but not everybody. And, and that's, not a <laughs> that's not a bad thing. Uh, 
But guys value mirrors for different reasons. Uh, guys value mirrors because it allows us to observe our masculinity. And ever, ever since, uh, you know, elementary school and continuing on, I really don't know when or if this ends because I'm still in this phase. We love mirrors because we like to stand in front of the mirror and flex. And it's, it's sometimes it's conscious, sometimes it's subconscious. Sometimes, guys, I mean, let's just face it, we catch ourselves flexing and we didn't even realize it until, you know, somebody brings it up. But we like to flex in front of the mirror. Perfect example, in college, I've explained our room setup before. I lived in the same, well, in the same dorm for all four years, freshman dorms. And uh, we had suites. So you had a room here, a room here, and a bathroom in the middle, and two doors so you could like walk through and back forth. So we had roommates and you had suite mates. Well, one of my suite mates, his name was Caleb, Caleb Gunnels, if any of you know him, then just feel free to tell him I told this story. But we're about to go play intramural football. And so we got our cleats on, we got our shorts on, our jerseys on, and, uh, and we're about to head to the car to go to the game. A couple of the guys left, and Caleb was still in the room getting his stuff on, and I could hear he was blasting music really loud, so he didn't know we were leaving. So everybody else went to the car. I went through the bathroom, through the door, and there's a, bath there's a little sink here with a mirror over here, um, and the room goes that way. And, uh, and I, I, I opened the door pretty loud, but he couldn't hear me because the bathroom, or because the music was playing really loud. He was listening. I remember this. He was listening to Justin Timberlake, Sexy Back. Is that the name of the song? And he's got it blaring super loud, and no joke. He didn't hear me come in. And so when I come in, he's in there with Timberlake playing really loud. He's got his cleats on, his shorts on, he's got a little head bun on, you know, he, he had to look cute when he was playing football, I guess, but, and he's got a football in his hands, and he's in there pretending like he's a quarterback, you know, and he's, he's kind of jumping around in the pocket, you know, handoff, ooh, fake, and, he, and I, I'm sure that in his mind, he's thinking he's, you know, impressing some phantom girl that's going to be watching him play or something, but he turns around because he wanted to do it in front of the mirror, and he sees me standing there, that dude turned so bright red as soon as he turned around, I wish I had a video of it, that would have been awesome, but Guys value mirrors just like girls value mirrors. Vice versa, girls value mirrors just like guys value mirrors. Mirrors reveal, um, they reveal physical features. They reveal uh, what's happening on the outside. And some of you love looking in the mirror. Some of you love looking in the mirror because when you look in the mirror, you like what you see. And, uh, and, and you leave with confidence. All right, I'm going. Let's go. Let's go clubbing or whatever. You know, you like what you see. You like to look in the mirror because you like what you see. You leave thinking, yeah, I've got it all together. But some of you hate looking in the mirror because you don't like what you see when you look in the mirror. And what James is getting at here is this. God's word is the mirror that reveals that which exists below the surface. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And for that very reason, God's word is of immeasurable importance to us. Because God's word reveals who we really are. And God's word reveals what really is there, what really is true about us. God's word reveals what our true nature really is. And God's word reveals where we really stand in relation to God. Because God's word reveals so much about who we really are. So the picture that James is painting here, it's of a man who he goes over here to look in this mirror. And he looks in the mirror, and after looking in the mirror, he goes away, and he immediately forgets what he looks like when he goes away. And because he immediately forgets what he looks like, he begins to develop this false sense of who he really is. And when we fail to allow God's word to fully invade our lives, we begin to develop this false sense of who we really are. When we fail to allow God's word to fully invade our lives, we begin to develop this false sense of where we stand in relation to God, and we're deceived. But look at what he says. He goes on, verse 24, he says, but, now when you see the word but, you know there's a big contrast coming. 
So he says, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do so, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. But, okay, big contrast coming. But before we get to that contrast, I just want to point this out. Why do you think James, he, he says, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, why do you think James goes from calling it the word to the law? I mean, up, in, up to this point in this whole book, he's, he's referred to this as the word. But here he switches to referring, it, referring to it as the law. Why do you think he does that? Probably a better question to ask is, what is the law? I mean, James, he was, he was Jew. He was Jewish. And the people that he's writing to, it's the church that had been in Jerusalem and had been scattered among the nations. So they're either Jews or they have a Jewish background. Or if they weren't Jews, they had been educated in a Jewish setting. So when he says the law, they understand that the law that he's referring to is the law of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Old Testament. But notice he doesn't just say the law. What does he say? He says the perfect law that gives freedom. By saying the perfect law, by referring or calling it the perfect law that gives freedom, James is awesome. He sets this focus, he sets the focus on the gospel. Because Jesus, when he comes into play, he perfects the law. And because he perfects the law, it then gives freedom to those who receive the word, receive the law. But by calling it the perfect law that gives freedom, this is so cool. He puts the focus on the gospel, but he does so in such a way that it brings all of God's word into picture. All of God's word into the frame which places a huge value on all of God's word, not just part of it. So he says, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do so, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. There's a contrast here between the first picture of the dude who looks at the mirror and walks away to the guy who looks at the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do so, not forgetting what he has heard. The question, though, is what's the contrast between? There's some, there's some parallel words here. There's the first guy says he just looks, the, the second guy, he looks intently. Now, on the surface, it, it appears there's a contrast. When you dig a little deeper, they're different Greek words, but it really means the same thing. There's really not a contrast there. It's more of a comparison. It's similar. So you go to the next, uh, you go to the next parallel words. The next is you got the mirror, and over here you got the perfect law that gives freedom. Now, again, they're, they're different things in the way we read it, but it's, it's the same thing. He's comparing the two. He's saying, look, God's word is like a mirror. A mirror is like God's word. So they're similar. That's not the contrast. But you read a little further, and he says, the first guy, he looks into the mirror, and then he goes away. He says he goes away. But the second guy, he says, he looks into the perfect law and continues to do so. So there's your first contrast. One goes away after looking. The other continues to look. <laughs> and then you go a little further, and there's another contrast. It's after this guy goes away, it says he immediately forgets what he looks like. And then this guy over here, as he continues to look, he, he doesn't forget. It says not forgetting. And so you essentially have, you have these two people here. One, or they're both looking at mirrors. The difference, though, is that one goes away, and when he goes away, he forgets, while the other never goes away. And he never forgets because he never goes away. And because he never goes away and he never forgets, he then does something in response to what he sees. And here's what James is getting at. When we truly allow God's word to invade our lives, when we truly accept it, and when we truly put our faith in it, when we truly put our faith in Christ because God's word reveals who Christ is, it is impossible for us not to be changed. You light a stick of dynamite, throw it in some water, it's inevitable. Stuff's going to blow up. Stuff is going to get messed up. And I don't say that really in a negative way. Because, I mean, we threw the stick of dynamite in, and once we threw it in, it blew things up, and some fish started floating on top. 
And that was what, what our food was. We weren't going to catch any fish apart from that dynamite, which was awesome. Uh, and then we got to eat because of that. And James, he's saying, look, you're going to get messed up, but that's not a bad thing. When I say, look, let God's word mess you up, I'm not, I'm not trying to freak you out. Like, it's a good thing. Because listen, again, he says, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law and he gives freedom and continues to do so, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, what's it say at the end? He will be blessed in what he does. So the point that James is trying to make is this. Some of us, some of you, have been and are being deceived. Some of you are being deceived into thinking that you are following Christ. Some of you are being deceived into thinking that you're being obedient to what his will has for your life. Some of you are being deceived into thinking that you're living the life that he's leading you to live. But the reality is, you're not. And some of you are being deceived into thinking that you've placed your faith in Christ and you've placed your trust in Christ. And because of that, you're saved. But the reality is, you're not. And so James, at the very end of this chapter, he offers a really quick test for us. Verses 26 through 27, he says, If anyone considers himself religious, yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. He says, if anybody considers himself religious or herself religious, in other words, if you consider yourself a religious person, or if you consider yourself one who's in right standing with God, or if you consider yourself one who's placed your faith and your trust in God, if you consider yourself to be one who is obediently following God and radically even following God, he says, okay, cool, put yourself to this test. And, and, and just so you know, we're going to deal with this very quickly. We'll, the weeks to come, we're going to be dealing with these three things in a lot bigger way because he does later in the letter. But he says, look, if you, if you consider yourself religious, one who's put their faith in Christ and is following God, great. Put yourself to this test. Because there's evidence, when, this is evidence of someone who has and is being changed by God's word. Three, three things, he says, three evidences. One, they keep a tight rein on their tongue. Two, they look after and they care about the forgotten people, the orphans, the widows, the homeless, the naked the hungry, the thirsty, the diseased, the crippled, the alcoholics, the homosexuals, the, the people whose parents have been divorced, the people who are social outcasts, the people who, I mean, you name it, there's, the list just goes on and on and on. You keep a tight rein on your tongue, that's evidence number one. Two is you look after and you, and you care about the people who are forgotten, the people who everybody just kind of looks past. And the third thing he says is this, they aren't polluted by the world. Evidence of someone who, has, who, who has and is being changed by God's word is this. They aren't being polluted by the world. You look different. You're set apart. And if you fail this test, hold yourself up to those three. If you fail that test, or any part of that test, then... There's an investigation that should follow. 
Because one of two things is true, and you need to figure out which one. Either you think you're following Christ and you're not, or you think you've really put your faith in Christ and trust in Christ and are saved, but you're not. Could it be that all this time we've been deceived into thinking that we are on mission with God and the reality is we've been stalled here going nowhere for years. Or even worse, could it be that you've thought all this time, you've been deceived into thinking all this time that you know God and have experienced God and have really put your faith and really put your trust in God. But the reality is you haven't. Matthew 7, verse 21 and 23 says this, Not everyone, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Translatable today would be not everyone who shows up on Tuesday night, raises their hands and sings these praise songs will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Jesus says, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What James says and what Jesus says merits some serious investigation on both your part and on my part. And some of you tonight need to stop just listening, just merely listening to God's word and, and start doing what it says. You need to stop just looking at this stick of dynamite that you hold in your hands and you need to light the thing and you need to throw it in the water and let it explode. Experience God's power. Let it mess you up. 